Okay, so I'm just going to go back for this little portion. So we hear the term financial literacy used loosely in political ads, but do we really know what it means? Um, as a society, are we prepared to... What I feel as a society is that we do not put sufficient effort in financial literacy. We just hear it talk. We just hear the word talk. What do you think of, Mary, when you think of financial literacy? What comes to your mind? When I think of the words financial literacy, I, until I actually started talking with you about this, I always thought that was somebody else's domain. Somebody what? I lost you. For the um, CPAs in the account, all ages should be financial. Okay, Mary, we're going to have to say that again. I lost you. Can you hear me? Be financially literate. How to use okay, Mary. finances. Mary, I lost yeah. you. I lost you. You were gone. Oh, we'll start over. It said, Mike, no, just for when I ask what is financial literacy. It said my internet was unstable, so I changed it. So let's okay. go again. So, Mary, okay. what comes to mind when you hear the term financial literacy? Well, a lot of things come to mind now that you and I've had a discussion about this. Until you and I talked about financial literacy, I never really thought much about it at all. I basically thought I handle my money and my money handles me. Uh, um, uh, other way around. But I thought that financial literacy was a word or a phrase that would be used by people like tax accountants or, or accountants and tax uh, people. It wasn't something that I needed to know about. But after having a discussion with you about financial literacy, I realized it's something that not only should everybody know about as a person in you know, a retirement age, Children need to learn about it from a very early age so that they can understand how financial literacy uh, applies to them and, and what, what it actually means to be literate. Because we want our children to be literate in the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Exactly. Which arithmetic starts with an A, but we've always said chop that A yes. off. And you know, we want our children to be literate in world events and historical events. We want our children to know what's going on in the current political climate around the world, not just wherever we happen to live. Why wouldn't we want our children to be literate in financial issues? Exactly. And so just as you brought out that broader idea, and that's exactly what, so according to the Program for International Students Assessments, which is um, an assessment conducted by the OECD, they stated that 80% of their test takers, and the test takers are 15-year-olds, 80% of those students were able to score on a level two. Now, you have five levels, and level two is like a basic. Things like they know about buying, selling, and saving. And that's about where it ended. But according to PISA, 
they need students needed to learn a lot more and i'm going to share their um scope with you it says that financial literacy test is designed to measure whether students have the knowledge and understanding of financial concepts and risks as well as the skills motivation and confidence to apply such knowledge and understanding in order to make effective decisions across a range of financial contexts to improve the financial well-being of individuals and society and to enable participation in economic life. So it's way more than just buying, selling, and all of those things. 80% of students were, not, were, were just on the basic. So when we got to level three, things like interpreting an invoice, interpreting a payslip, students did not know how to do that. It was like 30% of students. 10%, only 10% of students were, were able to understand questions on level five, which dealt with things like stocks and bonds and, and those kind, that level of things, or 15-year-olds. And then the, here's, the, here's the kicker, Mary. 94% of these students said that they learn about money from their parents. So if 80% of them do not know much, what does that tell you? That tells me the parents don't know much or the parents are not talking and teaching their children. It's one of the two. So it's either we do not know about money, we enough about money, we only tell them what we know. And so when we look at that disparity, what I'm asking is who teaches them? In the schools, unless you're a business student, you don't get to take financial literacy. There's no financial literacy in middle school. There's none in elementary school. So when do they learn about money? So what I'm thinking is by the time your child reaches college and he or she chooses to take an optional class, which it deals with financial literacy, it's already too late because they've already taken that test. That test is given to eighth graders. So you take that test when you're eighth grader and you do not know anything about the concepts that are being taught there, have no idea how to analyze it. And I can't fix it, Mary. I, there's nothing I can fix. But what I would like to do is, I know we have some listeners and I want them to know, well, hey, if your students are saying, if your children are saying they learn from you, why not learn? Learn more so that you are able to share with them so that when they go take that test that was optional, they will at least have an idea what it is if they see something on the pay slip that says a percentage goes to Medicare, another percentage goes to Medicaid, a percentage goes to Social Security, a percentage goes to some 401k. They will understand what's happening. But students were not able to answer questions on that level because nobody tells them about it. Nobody, nobody's introduced them to it. And so this season, I want us to spend time with the four major aspects that I would like parents to get more knowledge about, and then they can share it with their students, their children. That's, that's a good concept. I like that. Awesome. So um, one of the things we talk about in financial literacy is 
the idea of wealth inequalities. We have children being born in wealth and some being born in poverty. Mary, I mean, we probably don't have the answers, but from our just basic, what do you think? What, what can we do? What, do you th- what can we do to, uh, to narrow or to... And that's what I, wanna, I want us to talk about really is o- over this period, what can we do to deal with those aspects of inequalities? Well, you know, when you mentioned that some people are born into affluence and others are born into poverty, that is, I think that's what they call generational inequalities, right? Yes. You know, because, um, I mean, every everybody's different and it, it's interesting to look at my own family. I come from a family of eight children. Right. We were not we were not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. My mother held down three jobs. My father drank a lot. Um, when he wasn't drinking, he was probably paying off his bar tab. But there are eight of us, and we're so very different in our um, our perspective on everything in life, from jobs to the way we handle our money. I mean, I have one brother who's the youngest of the, of all of us. He's probably got more education than anybody else in the family. Uh, he's very well off. Um, not sure how well off he is. I, I would say he's got more money than anybody else in the family. Then, then my other brother who also is higher, um, highly educated, not quite as many degrees behind his name as my younger brother. He also, it, it's almost like those, there were, stop and think, three of us, I was one of the three who went on to further our education after high school. We three have more strong grasp of financial literacy than the others. And it's very evident if you look at the way they handle and treat money and what they do to um, their spending habits is one thing, Mm -hmm. but also um, whether or not we're investing the money or whether we have a 401k or, or think that that's even something to worry about. Right. So, and, and that's what this, this week or this season for me is about is for people like the other five of your siblings who probably didn't go to college or who never had somebody speak to them. These people too, they made money and they, if they had someone to actually teach them about how to use what they had, they probably would have been as well off as the rest of you. And so I, on next week, I have um, Carter Dillard. He is director of the Fair Start Movement, um, which is, they talk about how do we give each individual a fair start. Um, they talk about income inequalities, of course. And one of the things I did in preparation for this podcast was to, I, I saw something from the survey of consumer finances. It indicated that a little less than 2% of, of children in America are born with um, at least with, with a trust fund set out in their name with a minimum of about 462000 or well, I'm not one of those two percent. I can promise you that two hundred eighty-five thousand, and this is just the median and the minimum and the average. 
But then we have the others who are born in poverty. So the Fair Start movement have some suggestions. And next week, we will have Carter Dillard on, who will explain to us the concept of baby bonds. Um, I hadn't heard of it before recently. And there's only there's one state, actually, that has issued baby bonds to children. So next week, our listeners would know a little more about baby bonds, who gets them, who qualifies, um, where is it already in effect, and how they can use them to leverage the idea of financial inequalities. Folks, you've been listening to Rethink It. I am Dr. Martha J, and I have with me Mary of Be Unique. And we are talking about what habits you can implement to change your financial um, situation. And of course, not that we are talking down to anyone. We just want to share what we recently learned. Right, Mary? We are just yes, learning. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and we want to pass it on. Okay, Mary, what do you suggest for next? Um, do you want to ask me a question about... So the next one I just said, but the first one is about... The next one is going to be about incentives. So if you look at your phone and you see that second question I sent... <clears throat> yep, I got it. Right. So um, do you want to t- start talking or do you want me to... I'll say welcome back, of course. And then... Yeah, I want you to say welcome back and... Yes. Blah, 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 whatever. Then okay. I can just jump in with a question. Okay, awesome. Welcome back. You are listening to be... <laughs> Welcome back. You are listening to Rethink It with Dr. Martha J. And today I have an amazing co-host with me, Mary Brotherton. All right. Uh, Martha, I've been thinking while we were on break. Mm-hmm. How, how can we leverage incentives to reduce policy? I mean, you... There's got to be a, something to make it worthwhile to these people, right? Exactly. And so that's why I am just so heart-bent about financial literacy. Because the concept of baby bonds and all of those other incentives like tax, child tax credit, um, baby bonds especially, where it talks about putting money away for children and you give it to them at age 18. But my question is, if you, if I gave you money for a child and they get it at 18, what are you going to, what is that 18 year old going to do with that money? Did you teach them about money while they were waiting to be 18? Or are you going to wait until they're 18 and hopefully somebody tells them about money? They're probably just waiting for that 18th birthday and probably use that money and go down to the bar and drink it all off. That is not going to... Or buy a car. Buy a car. It's not going to do anything about that poverty situation. It's going to create that cycle. And so what I hope is to bring Jeff Badu, who is an author of, and Jeff is a financial, he's a financial um, advice. He's, uh, Jeff has his own financial, he's a accounting firm. He's also the founder of Jeff Badu Foundations. And he's written two amazing books. And I'm hoping that he is going to use one of those books or... So 
my hopefully I'm gonna have Jeff Badu, the author of The Super Hungry Nine Action Steps to Take Hold of Infinite Resources. And um, he has another book that's he's called he calls Infinite Expansion: How to Infinitely Expand Your Vision of Abundance. And and I spoke I had Jeff on my show before, and what he what he was concerned about was we keep giving, 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 giving. And, and the reason was we had just received that $1,200 from during COVID. And um, he said, we gave people $1,200, but we didn't tell, we didn't, they have no idea how to use it. So they're going to use it and they're going to blow it out in whatever they know because they, they're, they're consumers. And so what Jeff does, he has a foundation where they focus on teaching financial literacy to children as early as six years old. So, awesome. Yes. So children are going to understand the concepts of money. They're going to understand the concepts of investing. And so what he is, what I'm understanding from Jeff is you don't have to have a million dollars to be, to get out of poverty. The little that you get, that $1,200 that you received from the government, you should have been able to put aside the minimum that somebody is going to take from you so that you can begin to be, build wealth. Some of those place, um, financial products, you can put away as a little as $50 a month, but we do not. And so that is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that when Jeff Badu comes on, he can speak to people and let them understand that you do not have to have a lot to begin to put something aside so that you can get out of poverty later on. So Mary, from what I'm hearing exactly. from you and your, 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 your family situation, three of you are able to, it looks like you all have a lot of money, the three of you. But um, I, I am sure that if the others had gotten an opportunity to learn how to put money away, I am sure that... Mm -hmm. yeah, they have the opportunity, but um, I think I don't know why they chose not to participate. We are, we'll <laughs> see, but 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 the whole idea is is just to make sure that we can teach people that you do not have to have a lot, like the kids who have four hundred thousand dollars. You don't have to have that to get to get somewhere in life. You can actually start with the incentives that you get from the government, and that includes um student loan as well. Some of us have our student loans paid off. I mean, if you have your student's loan paid off, what would you do? Think of that money that you're not paying out and, and put it into something else. So I am not a financial advisor myself. And that's why I am bringing in one guest each week to discuss each of these aspects. So, so far we've spoken about, we've mentioned two. One is how we can deal with the wealth disparities. And the other one is how we can use the incentives that we get to actually get a head start in life. Yeah, I just happened to think of something else. Most people, especially the poorer people, are often churchgoers. And the idea of tithing is ingrained into them. You give 10% of all you've got to God. And that's not uncommon. Why not give another 10% to yourself? Exactly. For, for your future. Exactly. And, but sometimes they don't know where that to give it to. Because a lot of us think of saving. That's all I knew. When I was little in school, we had the credit union come to school. And they would have a savings every Friday. 
we brought a penny, we brought anything. We, I remember leaving that elementary school. Our parents had the opportunity to move it to the larger credit union. But it's not a lot. So unless a lot of, if you remember the students at level one and two, they knew about three things, buying, selling, and saving. But from what we know, if I save my money, I can go into the bank and just ask for my money one day. And, and there's a joke about that. Right. It's not really a joke, joke. It's a serious thing. It happened in my country where um, there was some embezzlement going on in the bank. Somebody stole some money, one of the workers. And one gentleman went down the next day and he said, in, in our Creole, I heard that you all are um, stealing money around here. I want all of my money. And then he stood there and made sure they dished out every penny he had in the bank. He counted it and he said, oh, you all are lucky. You didn't take my money so you can have it back. So the point... Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the point I'm making is the saving is a place where you can actually go in and take it as soon as you want it. And so it has to be a lot more than a saving. It has to be in those places like an annuity or um, a Roth or something where you cannot, there are some rules. Well, for the next five years, you will be able to touch it or for the next 30 years or for the next 15 years. So it, it has to be a lot more than just saving. So that's why I'm going to bring in some financial literate people or financially brilliant people to talk to grassroots people as to what they can do to make sure that they can use what they have because a lot of these folks they make money they just don't know how to put it away you know and, and mary that takes me to my second my next point um some of these people they do odd jobs you know they clean the roads they carry something for mary they get money they they, they work in a restaurant and they get tips they make more money than a person who has a fixed income but yet still they do not have a retirement. Why? Why do you think that's they don't? a good question? And I, I mm -hmm. it, it's an excellent question. And I, as someone who's done some of that, when I was a teenager, I waited on tables and I made great tips, but I saved it and saved it and I didn't invest it. I just saved it until I needed or I was ready to buy something, that I had the money to buy it. But there was no investment because my parents didn't teach that. They didn't know. They didn't know. Exactly. They had no idea. They had no idea. So, and I think it, it's imperative that the, we teach the parents. Yes. So that they can teach their children. Exactly. Because if I had known at 17 when I was bringing home, I mean, this was back in the 70s, sometimes $150, $200 a night just in tips. Had I known that I should be investing that money, I would have been. Yeah. But I, I didn't know that till I was much, much older. Exactly. And even then, you know, when I got my first paycheck, I saw the money, like you mentioned earlier, the Social Security and the check, uh, taxes and, and the different places the money goes. But even then, I didn't think that I should, well, I don't know that the 401k was even invented back that early. I don't remember when they started. But that was one of the first things. As soon as I saw that I had the opportunity to put money away in, a, in an account like a 401k or a Roth account, my money went there. Right. Because at that point, I had become financially literate 
on my own. I, I taught myself. Exactly. And there's a question I'm going to ask you, Mary, a personal one. Did you teach your children then? Or did you think they were too I young did. to know? You did? No, I did. I did my best to teach them, you know. Mm -hmm. Good. And uh, in fact, I was talking recently with my 40-year-old. He's my youngest. He was telling me about his uh, 401k on his current job. And he was asking, if I change my job, what do I do with my 401k? So we had another opportunity to continue talking about way to move your money if you need to move your money, whether or not it's best to leave it there. Exactly. So these are questions that's going to be answered in the third week because I will have someone who is going to talk to us about, and there are three categories of people I'm thinking of. One, the person who works for less than 40 hours, they have those jobs where they don't give them a full 40 hours, so they do not have a 401k plan. I, I want, the, I want the, the expert I'm bringing on to talk to these people and let them know where they can go, what they need to do in order to set up their own retirement plan. We also have people who just do odd jobs. They, they just do construction here and there. They have their own, no, not a registered business, but they're good at laying tiles. So they go, they lay tiles for Mary and they get $5,000. But what do they do? They give each person, you know, they just share it out and they do not think of putting some away in a retirement fund or they do not know. And there's another... And we have a lot of people that are freelancers. A lot exactly. of artists and writers exactly. are freelancers Freelance. and they don't think that they need to have money set aside. But maybe they don't know too. Maybe they don't know that they, they, it's possible to do it alone. So um, I'm finding all of those things like pretty much as old as I am. So I would like to, especially now that I am a small business owner fully, I had to find out about those things because we have so many small business owners who do not have retirement set up for themselves. But I, yes. want, I want business owners to understand that if you were, you were working for someone else, they probably would have had um, a 401k for you, 401k. So there are things set aside for small business owners. And so I would like that financial advisor to come on and just encourage people who are not employed by people who have offered them that form of retirement, tell them where to go, give them some kind of advice and what habits they can, they can um, implement they can begin right now to start putting money away. And not just that, but to teach their children. Because I'm finding out that as soon as you begin to work, you are allowed to have a Roth IRA. You are allowed to put money aside for retirement. As early as 16, you can do it on your own without having an employer do it for you. So these are the kind of things I would like my audience to know more about. And, um, I am not a financial expert, so I'm not going to even try. So um, that's why this podcast is about, is to invite people to listen for the next three weeks so that they can have their question answered and they can also leave their questions. If they're listening on Apple Podcast, they can leave a voice message. If they're listening on Spotify, they can also leave a message or they can email us at budinwriters um, at gmail.com or just sit and send us a message, ask your question so that we can have someone help them answer that. Um, 
we kind of talked about the retirement. Right. And, you know, um, we talked a little bit about trying to teach people whether they have a real job or not to set money aside for retirement. That doesn't mean put it in a jar and hold on to it until you're too old to work. Right. It means to invest. Investment. So that's something that I was thinking, you know, this is something that I didn't know about until I met my second husband, Curtis, Mm -hmm. that you could have equity and uh, estate planning. I had no idea that even existed. Yes. And I thought I was pretty smart. Yes. But mm -hmm. I think that's something that could be used to avert generational poverty. Yes. And and I really, I wanted to talk about, because I know of people who are low income who have their own homes right now. And then your realtor comes back or some banker meets you along the road and say, oh, do you know what's the equity in your home? Would you like to refinance? And they're using all of this jargon that these people, they never took time to teach them about. So the next person I'm going to bring on is someone who can talk to homeowners, people who came from low income and they worked hard and they're now middle, middle class or middle income earners and they have their own homes. And then before you jump into those decisions about, oh, I have equity in my home and I can just take it and do what, they need to understand more about financial literacy and what to do with the equity on your home, how you can use that to leverage poverty. Because it's so easy because some people sell things differently. I could say to you, oh, your home is worth, you bought your home for $100,000 and now it's worth $200,000. You can take that $100,000 and do whatever you want. And some people might take it and go on a cruise and buy the, buy the something else that they needed, but it doesn't take them out of poverty. What they would, should no. really be doing instead is to use it to take, remove you know, all of those debts that you had before and have that one bill. Because if it's not just about taking that equity. And so what I want people to, I want somebody to share with them is, how we can use that equity to avert poverty, to make sure that your children do not end up in the same cycle. And that takes us to estate planning. I'm just tired of hearing so many things in the news where somebody passed and you have people fighting for what they had. People take no time to plan their estates and sometimes they don't know better. Sometimes they do know better. And so I would like um, people to understand the whole process and so we're gonna have someone talk about those things the a, a realtor um or somebody in real estate to talk about all of those um maybe an attorney too to talk about estate planning and talk about um and a realtor to talk you know about i'd love planning. i'd love to see you bring on somebody who could talk about reverse mortgages too mm-hmm. okay because that's another area that i think they some people might use as a predatory, very predatory. way of, uh, of of reaching out to to people in poverty, mm-hmm. you know, with their equity and say, "Oh, well, we're gonna, you know, I can give you a reverse mortgage, and it's gonna, you don't have to worry about another payment." Mm-hmm. And that's actually a lie. Yes, because my my um, my stepfather had that situation. He thought he was doing the right thing right before he married my mother, and he came to her and he showed her a, a document and she said, what is this? And he said, it's 
my reverse mortgage document. I don't have to make another house payment as long as I live. Well, he didn't, but then he died before my mother did. And that meant that either she or his children had to pay off that reverse mortgage. Yep, or they lose the house. And I don't remember what the outcome was. Yes. It's... So, and that's the thing. And so again, if we are talking about narrowing the wealth gap, or we are talking about, uh, you know, the, just narrowing that wealth gap, why are we encouraging people who worked so hard to got a house? Why are we encouraging them to take a reverse mortgage? And so a lot of those um, poverty um, causes of poverty is, is systemic. You know, you have just things coming on to tell you, oh, you can do that. And oh, you can do that. But then you're not realizing that you're stymieing your, your, your children. Somebody is not going to have wealth. They're going to have to start from scratch. And, and so that is one of the things I would really like for us to put into. I, I visited the Virgin Islands St. Croix um, earlier the last, some, uh, towards the end of last year. And as we drove by, my uncle was just showing, was pointing out all of these homes that are there just dilapidated or they're just almost abandoned because there was no estate planning. Somebody just didn't leave it for anyone and they're just all there. Just nobody, maybe they have eight children like you or like myself, my, my, my parents. And um, nobody wants to repair it because that one doesn't want to let off and that one doesn't want to put in. And so... I think that um, if people know more about the benefits of estate planning and about the disadvantages of reverse mortgages and some of those things that the, the television is going to point them towards is to let them understand that they are taking away from your generation. They're driving your generation back into poverty. You worked hard and got out of poverty by owning your own home, but then you're not passing it on. And, and so how do we avert generational poverty? We have to be able to teach people so that they can understand what these systems are asking them to do and, and not do it. It's just sad that nobody explains to people what those things mean. You know? So how, how soon do you think we should start teaching our children about financial literacy? Exactly. And that takes us to almost the last point, the last week of this um, season. It's going to be how to talk to your children about financial literacy. And as I told you, Jeff Badu's foundation, they have a six weeks program where they start off from six years old. They teach the kids how to save. They teach them about investment. Children are actually encountering, they, they're dealing with money. There are quite a few books on the internet about how to teach kids about money. Um, a few of them, I... Yeah. yeah, I have encountered a few books online about how to teach kids about money. One of them is Investing for Kids, How to Save, Invest, and Grow Money. And it's by Dylan Redling and Allison Tom. I have another one endorsed by financial advisors. It's Kids Guide to Money by Kai Brown. So there are books online to help parents talk about money, teach them about insurance. For example, Mary, you have a child who you get, Christmas just passed 
and you give a child a toy and it broke. And then they cried to dust asking for another one. Some parents will just run ahead and buy another one. But you can teach kids from early. It's like your car. If you crashed your car, you will get another car, but it's probably the insurance gave you money, but they didn't just give you money. And so that, these are ways we can teach kids about insurance. And one of the clips that I read somewhere was piggy bank. You have a child with a piggy bank and you teach them well. The, you know, that money you put away, is like the insurance for your toy. The insurance for something. If something broke, then we're going to take the money from what you collected to pay for it. Because I already bought it for you one time. I shouldn't have to buy it for you twice. We have parents buying all these Xboxes for kids because they brought in good grades. Well, that's not teaching them about financial literacy. You need to teach them, help them understand how did you come up with that idea? Where did you get the money from to be able to buy them a game? How do they treat it? All of those things. So I'm hoping that we can just um, encourage parents to use the basic things that they do, like buying toys and and especially to replacing things and and giving them money for um, chores and, and all of those things. When you give them those things, it, it shouldn't just stop there. It's to teach them how to invest, how to, you know, bagging, how to shop, how to budget. All of these things we can teach them from elementary age. And as they start going up, we will start talking to them about, you know, reviews. Go on to Amazon. Instead of just going to Amazon and pick something that is the most expensive, read the reviews. By the time your child is 12 years old and 13, even younger, they should be able to read reviews and say, why am I buying this one? Well, there are four options of one product. Why did you pick that one? So we, we right. want, and, and these are the things that PISA is saying that kids need to be able to do. They need to be able to understand and make decisions, analyze things and make, make decisions based on this analysis and this understanding of products, of concepts, and in society in general. So financial literacy is such an important tool, I think, to avert poverty. If we do not know, it makes no sense. You can give me a million dollars, Mary, and if I know nothing about how to use money, it's, I'm going to be poor tomorrow. And I think it was one of Did the you know that mm -hmm. the majority of people who win lottery mm -hmm. of a million dollars or more mm -hmm. are bankrupt within a year? Because they, it's not money. It's, and, and that's the difference between money and wealth. So what is yes. money and what is wealth? And that is what I'm hoping that over this next three weeks that we can teach that difference. What is the difference between building wealth and having money? Because I can have money and still not be wealthy. So if I have money, what do I do with that money so that I can build wealth and break the cycle of poverty? Because what's the point that I win a million dollars, go ahead and I share, I give everybody in my family $100,000 and I have more than 10 already. So what's going to happen? Of course, I'm going to end up bankrupt. Did I, did anybody talk to me about putting some money away in an investment plan so that that way I will have something to draw from um, as I get older? Or do I just end up being more broke than the next day? So again, money does not equate wealth. And what I would like is for us to be able to teach people how to use money to build wealth and how to use that wealth, of course, to avert or, you know, avoid poverty or narrow 
the wealth gap. And, and that's my mission for this, this next few um, podcasts. How do you intend to get this message out to the people who need it the most? That's a very good question, Mary. I have a few people who listen to my podcast. I do not know. Um, I am not a public, well, public speaker behind my podcast, yes. But I have a few grassroots friends. Um, Facebook, I, I, I share my podcast on Facebook. I share it with um, people who probably need it, and then they will share it with other people. Um, hopefully, somebody who needs it most will hear it. And what I normally do is every time one comes out, I will put a note on Facebook to say what it is about. So hopefully I will say something like how to plan your retirement if you are self-employed or what three things you can do to give, secure your retirement if you are a small business. So hopefully I'll use those tags and um, put them on Facebook and on LinkedIn where I am on the social media platforms. And um, maybe be unique as well, be unique radio, where we, can, where we can share that so that um, people can um, just understand what, what edu chat edu because yes. all you're doing is talking about educating, educating. Mm -hmm. So that's that's um, the, that's the plan. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about the books that you found online, mm -hmm. it made me think of two things that I wanted to mention. The first was you were looking for those books, yes. so you found them. Mm -hmm. So I think there are a lot of parents out there that might not know that they should be looking for them. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that your podcast will reach them and they'll start thinking, oh, I need to start educating myself. Exactly. And the other thing that I thought about was we did an article and we also did a some kind of trade like in kind with be unique with an app called busy kid mm. and it's a telephone app that parents use if they want their child and it helps them teach helps teach the children about money mm. um, and if you'd like i can send you the information to reach out and might make a great um contact on your, you know, if you wanted to have a, expand your shows right. on this topic. Mm -hmm. uh, but it teaches children not only how to make money for chores, you know, because if you're going to pay your kids for a chore, there needs to be some tangible reason for it. Not just, I, I, I swept the floor, so I got a dollar. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to be something more uh, along the lines of, okay, I swept the floor, so that I could get a dollar, but now what do I do with this dollar? Do I go to the store and spend it on ice cream? Mm -hmm. Or do I invest it? Mm -hmm. Or do I save it? Right. And they, they tell show you in the app how you can save the money, and they teach children about philanthropy as well. Good. So if you want to donate through that app, they'll let you do that too. Awesome. You know, I remember earlier you, you mentioned something about um, tithing, the principle of tithing. And I always, I yes. often go back to the, to Joseph, the story of Joseph. Um, he told Pharaoh, if you put away one fifth of your grain in the years of plenty, yes. we will have enough. And that was one fifth, which is, you know, twice, but the, the 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 concept of that was there it was not a time it was a saving it was an investment let's put that amount away so that in the time of drought we will have more 
And people came all the way from far, far away to come to Egypt to, to buy because Egypt, it was famine everywhere. Yes, they and did. Egypt had, yes. So um, right there in the Bible, biblically, um, people are encouraged to invest or put things away. And some people just look at it as a saving and they go and take all of it when they're hungry. But there's a lot more than just um, a saving. They can do an investment, which of course, this is what I'm hoping that people can learn over the next few weeks. Well, I want to say, Mary, thank you so much for your time. I have a plea out to anyone listening to this show. If you are a financial advisor or you are anyone who might, who might be able to just speak to grassroots people, people who are low income or middle income, middle class, and they need to learn how to teach their children about money or how to, you know, learn more about money so that they can financial products so that they can invest um, and reach out. And I would be more than happy to have you on one of my podcasts to share with people who need to hear it most. Thank you again for your listen. And Mary, thank you so much for agreeing to be on here with me for the first thank podcast. Thank you. I'm honored that I was your first guest for this. Yes. And thank I'm you hoping, so much. Thank you for coming. And I hope you will come back again before the year ends. Anytime. You know I'm here for you. Definitely. Well, thank you, my dear. And um, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nice. Recording stopped. Recording stopped.